Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for your anointing, the power and the presence of your spirit. Thank you for the way you're leading us and guiding us. Father, thank you for the, the internet ministry and, and just all the different things that you have us uh, being able to do to have an impact in people's lives. I bless every single person that's here and I ask for there to be a deposit and an impartation of your grace and your mercy, your presence and your power and your wisdom. We invite you, Holy Spirit, as this, and we recognize your ministry as the spirit of truth to lead us and guide us into all truth. And I ask for you to bless the words that come from my lips today in Jesus' name. And if you can agree with that, just say amen. amen. All right, you can be seated. Let's look in John chapter 4. <clears throat> So the Bible, one of the things that the rabbis would say is that a literal interpretation of Scripture is a childish interpretation of Scripture. And it is the first level. You can check me out. Just look at um, uh, Jewish levels of interpretation on Google and this will come up. <laughs> so the, And they would say that an adult who just takes the Scripture... Now, this is a rabbi who said this, so don't get triggered and mad at me said an adult who takes the Bible only literally is an idiot. I didn't say it. I'm just passing along the information. It was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi who said that. Second, an adult who only sees the Bible through a literal interpretation is an idiot because it's the first level, it's the surface level, and you're supposed to go beyond that because it's supposed to impact you where you live. If you just read it literally, then all you've got is a historical document. And then you wrestle and fight with archaeologists and other people about the age of the earth and was it created in 24-7, you know, and we get into all this stuff because we insist on just taking it literally. Hello? The second level of interpretation is symbolic, right? Symbolic. The third level of interpretation is association. So you find something here, you find something over here, you begin to connect the dots and you see a pattern that begins to emerge. Got it? The deepest level of interpretation is secret. So when the Bible says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. The secret things belong to God, but those things that have been revealed belong to us and to our children. It's talking about the secret level of interpretation that not everyone is privy to because God doesn't share his secrets with everybody just like you don't. <laughs> so the deepest, most mature level of understanding is when you get into the secret more symbolic interpretations of Scripture because that hits you where you live for the purpose of transforming you. So I'll give, can I give you an example of this? When Jesus goes to celebrate the Passover, he doesn't celebrate the Passover. The Passover at that time was celebrated in the temple. So you could have what you call external religion. The external religion of Israel, they, they celebrated the Passover in the temple, and they literally crucified lambs. They literally hung them up like this when they uh, sacrificed them in the position of a cross. <laughs> but Jesus does not celebrate Passover with the masses in the temple. He celebrates it with his disciples. Now remember what he said to his disciples. He said, to the masses I speak in parables, but to you... I make everything known that's secret. 
You see the different levels of interpretation? Are you, are you with me? So where does Jesus take them? Jesus takes them into an what's called an upper room or a place of ascension in order to reveal that he's the actual Passover lamb, which is a secret interpretation of scripture. I'll give you an example. When Jesus is being crucified, they have to break the legs of the two thieves that are next to him, right? But they don't break his legs. And what does John say about it? It says he'd already died, so they stabbed him with a spear. Didn't break his legs. What does John say about it? That it might be fulfilled, not one of his legs should be broken. That it might be fulfilled what the scripture said, not one of his legs shall be broken. Are you tracking with me? You guys hanging with me on that? Do you know where that scripture is found in the book of, in the Old Testament? It's about the Passover lamb. So a literal interpretation of that scripture is when you're eating the Passover, you don't break the legs of the Passover lamb. Only a secret interpretation is going to show you that it's talking about Messiah who's going to be crucified several thousand years later. Matthew does the same thing at Christmas when Jesus is born and he goes down into Egypt and then he comes out of Egypt that it might be fulfilled out of Egypt I have called my son. You know where that scripture is found? That scripture is found in Hosea. But you know what Hosea is talking about? He's talking about the Exodus. Because if you read in Exodus, uh, when Moses goes before Pharaoh, he says, God has said, Yahweh has said, let, my, let Israel, my firstborn, go, that they may worship me in the... So Hosea, putting an interpretation on the Exodus, says, out of Egypt I have called my son Israel. And then Matthew, putting another interpretation on Exodus, says, no, it's about Jesus, and it's fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Literal interpretation isn't going to get you there. So Jesus takes his disciples into the upper room and he washes their feet. Why? So we can have a ritual. So I mean, I just I never got into the foot washing thing. I just I've had it done, I've done it, and I'm just like, this is just weird. Anybody else? I was never moved to tears because I was so humbled. I was moved to tears because I'm like, do we have to? It's like one of those things in church, like, God, do we have to do this? I guess, I guess we have to do this. And then Jesus said, if you do these things, you'll be happy. Was he really interested in clean feet? Or is he talking about if you're going to ascend, you have to wash the impurities of where you've been walking? <laughs> it's all about consciousness. It's all about taking you into an upper room of consciousness, into an ascended level of thinking. And in order to get to that ascended level of thinking where you can have true communion with the divine, the parts of you that touches the earth has to be cleansed from you as well. So Peter says, give me a whole bath. And he says, or wash all of me. And he says, no, he that's had a bath does not need to be cleansed, only his feet, only the part that has been touching and picked up the impurities of the earth. All right. <laughs> I went over about like I thought it would. Come with me to John chapter 4. <laughs> John, John's gospel. John's gospel chapter 4. <clears throat> Let me read this story. 
In verse uh, 5. In verse 4, I'm sorry. Verse 3. <laughs> we'll just skip the first two. He left Judea, Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. But he say with me, six. About the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And when the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. It's important. That you catch that. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband, and in that you have truly spoken. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, if you have a King James or a New King James, you'll see that he is in the italics there. And at this point, the disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet, Notice that. They marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said to him... Uh, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did, because this be the Christ. Then they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime, the disciples urged him to eat. And anyway, what you discover is he says the fields are white unto harvest. And then he has an open door into ministry in Samaria. Interesting story, isn't it? Now, if you want to just take it literally... (laughs) Then Jesus, at the sixth hour, happens along at that particular time and meets a hoe. (laughs) Okay, for the uninitiated, he meets a woman who's had several men. (laughs) And 
I've heard lots of messages preached about how this woman had to sneak, right? Like, like, so what they will tell, what they'll say is on literal, literal interpretation. Uh, she, she, uh, has been apparently not in with the community because all the women would go up to draw water together in the morning at a particular time. But this woman, because she was probably an outcast, goes up and wash and, and not with the company of people, right? To draw water. And it was probably because she was an outcast because she was judged so harshly because she'd had five husbands before and now she's living with a man who's not her husband. Right? So, you get it? And so, Jesus is offering her living water, but in order for her to have this living water, He's got to address her sin. And so, I've even heard this used as an example of prophetic ministry and words of knowledge. (laughs) That He just, He reads this woman's mail, right? He tells her about her five husbands, and tells her about, you know, the man that she's living with, and... Uh, exposes her sin. And so somehow by exposing her sin, but watch the conversation. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's so carnal, that interpretation, because watch the conversation. It's like she engages Jesus or Jesus engages her and she's curious because he's, he's breaking with tradition and talking not only to a woman, but to a Samaritan woman. Notice they didn't even know she was Samaritan. They, they got upset with him for talking to a woman. Do you realize every Jewish male would wake up in the morning in the time of Jesus, every Jewish male would wake up in the morning and pray three things. He would say, Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile. I thank you that I am not a slave. And I thank you that I am not a woman. Which, which is why, and, and, and Paul is overturning that in the book of Galatians when he says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, so there goes the Gentiles, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female so he's he's directly confronting that prayer so jesus disciples would wake up every morning theoretically and say i thank you god that i'm not a gentile that i'm not a slave and that i'm not a woman that's how unclean you women were back then you got to understand there was also writings in, in in the rabbinic writings that if your donkey fell in a well or you had to save your wife you save your donkey because the donkey had more value. That's in the rabbinic writings. <laughs> That's why when Jesus goes to heal the woman on the Sabbath, and he says, which of you having a donkey that falls in a well on the Sabbath will not save the donkey? He's confronting their gender prejudice. Very directly. And then says, ought not this daughter of Abraham, there never was a daughter of Abraham because you got into the covenant through circumcision. Jesus. All right. Anyway. So they're, they're amazed he's talking to a woman. So he talks to this woman and then she says, he, he offers her the gift of God. He says, if you knew who you were talking to, the gift of God would be given to you and I would give you living water so that you would never thirst again. Right? And she says, where can I get this living water? Well, something's getting in your way. You see the evangelical interpretation? Something's getting in your way. You've been living loose. <laughs> You're a sexual addict or whatever, right? And he just puts it out there. And then she's like, she does what any of us would do in that situation. She changes the subject and tries to make it religious and spiritual, right? Well, uh, the Jews say we're supposed to worship over here. And you say we're supposed to worship over there. And then Jesus says, no, you're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. But notice what Jesus didn't do was lead her through the sinner's prayer. Notice he didn't lead her through the sinner's prayer. Notice he didn't tell her, well, you need to repent of your sin. He didn't even tell her, go and sin no more. 
You know why? Because rabbis, Jesus was a rabbi, and rabbis talked to people in parables. I'd like to submit to you that when the woman said, I have no husband, that in reality, she never had any husband. Because Jesus wasn't speaking to her at a literal level. And you can go back and read, if you care to, because you can find it online, commentaries by the early church fathers, and they understood that Jesus was not speaking literal. Because the number five was always connected to the fact that you have five physical senses. Right? And they're, they're, most of them are in your head, right? You have the basic sense of feeling or touch, which is all throughout your body. And that is the basic sense. Because you wouldn't be able to see if light rays weren't touching the cones and everything in your eyes. Which is why when you close your eyes, you can't see. Because you cut off the touch with the light. When you plug your ears, it's harder to hear because, right? You don't taste anything generally until it touches your tongue. And you don't smell anything until it touches your nose. So touch is the basic sense. But all the other senses are in your head. And by the way, there is no word for husband in the Greek. There's only a word for man. So actually what she says, what, what the actual translation, if you're reading it in the Greek, here's what it says. <laughs> Go and call your man. I have no man. Because see, there was no social interaction or relationship with God except through the male. Women couldn't even come to synagogue. Women sat in the back uh, behind a screen and the men were there to learn the Torah. One of the rabbis said, it's better to burn the Torah than to teach it to a woman. So a woman had no personal relationship with God in that culture. So... Based on cultural prejudices, in order for Jesus to transmit anything spiritual to the woman, she needs her man to come. And she says, I have no man. And he says, you're right, you have five men. And the one you're with right now is not your man. Are you still breathing? What is six in biblical numerology? Everybody should know this because the book of Revelation just points it out to you. Six is the number of man, right? Because man was made on the sixth day, right? So Jesus finds a woman at a well during the number of man. It's important because Jesus talks to her about the hour is coming and now is. It's not just in there for information, for you to know, oh, about three o'clock, Jesus fell upon a woman. So let's just take it out of its literal and let's look at a spiritual interpretation of this. Here you are in a culture where women cannot have a personal relationship with God. And she doesn't come with a company because you don't get this in a company. What are we talking about getting? The gift of God that causes you to never thirst again. It's a very individual thing. 
Come on, how many of you have ever been in a meeting where God is really moving and you're going through something and it seems like everybody else is getting something but you? I've been in those meetings. Everybody else is getting gold dust but me. Everybody else is getting the the jitterbug (laughs) anointing but me. Everybody else is getting a word or a miracle or feeling the presence of God and I'm just feeling depressed. Right? So there comes a point where, and you, you walk away, you drink from that well and you're thirsty again. Or you drink from that well and you get the jitterbug. <laughs> Come on guys, lighten up with me a little bit. <laughs> you fall out in the spirit and have visions of God, caught up into a state of ecstasy. You get up and what happens? You're thirsty again. You're dissatisfied again and you want to go back and drink from that well again, Right? Because what Jesus is talking about, this water that causes you to never thirst again, is not is, is, is an individual thing. So she doesn't come with a company of women. And it's for even the lowest of society. It's for those that aren't even Jews. Because they hated Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. And... For those, it's showing you, you don't have to have a head, ladies. It's so ridiculous. Well, you can't minister because who's your head? (laughs) See, Jesus bypasses that. He says, look, you can't get it through a man. You can't get it in a company. This is a very individual thing that only I can give you in a personal encounter. That's why it's there. It's, it's Jesus transcending every cultural barrier, every race barrier, every socioeconomic barrier, every gender barrier, crossing every boundary of prejudice that is self-imposed upon people and saying, look, the reason that I came, that it says he needed to go through Samaria. So he goes through Samaria and finds a woman at the number of the man. You could even say that there's a new, that there's an account of a recreation here because you have an Adam and an Eve on the sixth. And what was Adam and Eve's problem? What was Eve's problem? She, she heard the serpent. Watch this. She saw the tree that it was pleasing to the eyes and fruit desirable to make one wise. And she took touch of its fruit. Taste and smell work together. She engaged all five of her senses at the tree of knowledge and internalized knowledge that comes from the five physical senses and gave it to her husband who was with her or her man who was with her. And they fell from paradise. So now they, they are looking for something to quench their thirst. Humanity is looking for something to quench their thirst, but they can't seem to find it. So any well that they drink of leaves them thirsty for more. And Jesus comes offering the gift of restoration to take you out of the physical dimension Where do we worship on this mountain or do we worship over there? Do we worship during a sacred time on Saturday or do we worship anytime we want? I say there is an hour coming that now is 
where the true worshipers will not worship on any physical location because they're no longer married to their five physical senses. But they will worship God in spirit, right? And in truth, but not truth that comes from the tree of knowledge, truth that comes from the tree of life. Because the water that I will give you will become in you a well of water springing up to eternal knowledge or springing up to eternal life. So that it's no longer about your environment. It's no longer about what's going on in your circumstances or your senses. That, that, that the well will become in you. It's, I, I used to read that and think, God, Jesus just gives you magic water and then you don't ever have to do anything. No, it's a well that you continually return to, but it's a very individual, very personal well because it's the well that's in you. And how many believers have been taught how to drink from the well that was, is within them? See, would to God, when I first got saved, that instead of telling me to listen to preaching tapes all day long, and instead of telling me to just confess scripture all day long, and instead of just telling me, you know, some of the stuff that I learned, go to, go to church, go to meetings, get the laying on of hands, all this stuff that we did. But nobody told me, this is a personal thing, this is an individual thing, where you wean yourself off your five physical senses and you learn how to go within because Christ has put the well of living water within you. And it's only in that place that you'll find satisfaction. I saw this little clip on, on YouTube. This guy comes to this spiritual person, says, uh, Teacher, I just... I." I'm having trouble on my job. I can't take my job. My job is leaving me, you know, with all this dissatisfaction. And the, the, the guy says, the teacher says, great, I'll pray that you get fired. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. If I, if I get fired, then I won't have money to do the things that I want to do. <laughs> and anyway, it goes on. And the point he's making is, is that every situation leads to dissatisfaction. When you're looking for satisfaction out here, every situation leads to dissatisfaction. You can go from one dissatisfying relationship into another relationship that's more satisfying, and what's going to happen? Eventually that well's going to dry up and you're going to be dissatisfied. You can go from one job. How many of you ever quit your job, got another job, and you were happy long term? Or how many people, I talked to somebody, or I read something about, no, I read it, I read in a magazine about somebody who had retired and said, I was retired and I got, I was bored stiff, I can't stay retired. So people work all their life long thinking if I could just retire, then I'll, you know, that'll be it, I can just sleep in, I can do whatever I want. And then they do that for, and it feels good for a month, two months, three months, four months, and then pretty soon it's like, oh, this is driving me crazy, I need to find something to do. And they go get a job at Walmart greeting people and they come in the door. You see it? So that all things lead to dissatisfaction. And it's a blessing because you're created a spiritual being. And you're not meant to find satisfaction through your five physical senses alone. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you, understand, 
You understand, part of the spiritual pathway to be weaned from desire is to fulfill desire. In other words, you can drink from this well. Go ahead. But just realize, if you drink from that well, enjoy it. Just realize if you drink from that well, it's going to leave you thirsty again. So this idea that they got in the Middle Ages that, you know, the pathway to true spirituality is just kill the, kill the flesh. Kill the, kill the desires. No, God created this world. <laughs> Paul even says, don't put your trust in uncertain riches, but put your trust in the living God who richly gives you all things for your enjoyment. You, you do realize the Virgin Mary, this is going to upset the Catholics. You do realize the Virgin Mary was probably an alcoholic. It's in the Bible. Come on, man. They're at a party and they ran out of wine. <laughs> and she goes to Jesus. Uh, we got a problem here. We're, <laughs> we're out of wine. We, we <laughs> and he even says, why are you involving me in this matter? Well, you know. You know, you know exactly why. <laughs> oh, where did that come from? Whatever he tells you to do, do it. (laughs) But while we're on the topic, how many water pots do they take? Six. Why six? Because it's the number of man. And they put the water inside. And then Jesus has to transform it into something satisfying, into something intoxicating. If you follow water all throughout John's gospel, you'll see that it keeps returning to this theme of water over and over and over. John 7, 37, 38. He that believes in me out of his innermost being will what? Flow rivers of living water. When they jab Jesus' side, he's the only only one that does this account where they stick Jesus in the side and what happens? Blood and water flows out. So John returns to this theme of water over and over and over again. And it's all about personal transformation. And while we're at it, Jesus gets crucified where? Where does he get crucified? Golgotha. What does Golgotha mean? Place of the skull. He's on the cross, and in John's account, or any account that you can think of, who's at the cross? Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, and John. Right? You got one thief on this side, you got one thief on that side. And Jesus, when he says it is finished, what does he do? He gives up his spirit or he ascends. Why is that all in there? You know, just so you have some historical accounts so you know who was there? Or so you can wrestle with the other accounts that say somebody else was there? That say none of the disciples followed him? You realize there's a gospel account that says none of the disciples followed him. But then John says, no, John was there. Oh, but I thought we believed in inerrancy. I'm sorry, I'm getting confused again. But watch this. It's actually showing you the path. Because the cross is is also about transformation and ascension. And so watch this. You've got Jesus being crucified at the place of the skull. Where do your senses come in? (laughs) 
You've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. Go back a few weeks and I told you how Mary was symbolic of the fact that you're carrying the Christ inside of you. And you're giving birth. That, that, that you become her, the vessel, who carries the Christ inside of you. Then you've got Mary Magdalene, who did what? Who washed Jesus' feet, but also who sat at Jesus' feet. Who sat at his feet in a place of contemplation. Because remember, Martha was all upset in John's Gospel. Tell Mary to come, you know, cook and clean and do all this stuff with us because that's the woman's place. And he says, no, she's chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. She's chosen one thing. What is that one thing? A personal encounter of contemplation with Jesus. So you have one representation of the fact that you're carrying the Christ inside of you. You have another representation of the fact that you need to attend to the presence of Christ within you. And then you have John the Revelator who's caught up on the third day in the state of ecstasy and sees Jesus. you got a thief on one side who represents the part of you that wants to be religious. Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. <laughs> that wants the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. you got the one that wants to do good in order to please God, but is really a thief. And then you got the other one that says, scoffs and mocks and says, I don't want to have anything to do with that religion. Think, see, it's all you. It's all showing you a reflection of you, which is why Paul said, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord were transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And what he's showing you is that the pathway to God, the pathway to worship, the pathway to ascension is not by being good. It's certainly not by being bad. But it's by being crucified at the place of the skull where I no longer am married to my five physical senses and I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I can ascend and worship God in spirit and in truth, but not truth, that comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because those two are thieves that rob you of real spiritual life. You'll never attain true spirituality by trying to be good because that well will only leave you thirsty. And you'll never satisfy what you're really longing for by just having the freedom to go out and be bad. It's walking the middle path. All right. <laughs> it's funny, when I was in Arkansas, they introduced me. Every time they introduced me, well, Aaron's going to get ready to speak, and it's going to be really hard for you to <laughs> it's gonna, He's going to leave you thinking for another year. Only reason we bring him in for one year is because we can only handle him about once a year, because we have to think about what he said for a whole year before we can bring him back. <laughs> I've never been introduced so crazy in my life. One time I was there, they, they flashed up on the, the scripture where Mary says, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. <laughs> when I was, when I was uh, in Phoenix just this last week, this is where I'll close, I've been, you know, encountering God, walking with this well for a long time, understanding that if I want renewal, I don't have to go to a meeting. I don't put a tape in. I don't sit there and read scripture. I do all those things, and I think it's important, obviously. I mean, obviously I'm well-studied, right? So I'm not downgrading that, but I'm just saying that's not the well that leaves you satisfied. Right? But I know how to engage God from the inside, and I know how to meet with them. 
And I got into this place. I don't even know how to describe it. That was so incredible where I experienced for a few moments. Now, this is true of all of us. This isn't just true of me. This is true of you as a human being. I had a truly human experience. So I'm not boasting about myself. I'm trying to say this is what I experienced because this is also who you are. Do you understand? But I stepped into the reality, the real reality in my spirit of who I am in Christ. And it was so vast and so large and so huge and so magnificent. And I was just in total bliss, just in total ecstasy. And I was just like, my God, this is what you've been trying to get us to. This is what you're trying to get us to understand. This is what you're trying to get us to manifest from this place in the earth. And I could only be there for a few moments because guess what? My husband's... (laughs) Everybody's going to think I'm into gay marriage. (sighs) My husband's came calling. What do I mean? My five physical senses began to put demands on me and pull me out of that place. But you've got to understand, every time you visit that place, even if it's just for a moment, even if you don't realize what you're doing, every time you drink from that well, you're re-energizing and recharging yourself so that you can go out and face whatever it is that you've got to face from a greater place inside of you. So I'm just done with the days of begging the Lord to do something and trying to convince Him that I have enough faith and whatever to try to get my prayers answered. That stuff doesn't work. If it did, trust me, I would know. Because <laughs> I have tried. Let me just show you this. Look at me. Because you need scripture, right? Ephesians 3, and then we're done. This will change your life if you can let the scripture speak. Let go of your religious. I'm going to kick over a couple religious idols right off the bat, okay? You ready? Might as well. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this, Now, he's praying for a church in crisis. He's going to tell you how he's praying. He's praying for a church in crisis. I want you to hear this. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. He's not praying that the persecution will end. He's not praying for a better offering. He's not praying for your marriage to get straightened out or your body to get healthy. He's praying that you'll experience something in your inner man because that's what it's all about. That the strength and power of God would meet you in the inner sanctuary of your heart. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That sounds an awful lot to me like water that quenches your thirst. But it happens from the inside. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's how he prays. 
personal encounter on the inside, that Christ may dwell in your heart, that you would be strengthened with power and might on the inside, that Christ would be dwelling in your heart, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him, watch this, to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to what? The power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To Him be the glory by Christ Jesus. The Him He's talking about is not Christ Jesus. Let me read it again. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. That doesn't make sense. The Him doesn't even grammatically make sense if He's talking about Christ being the one who does exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all you can ask or think. In all generations, which means he wasn't expecting the second coming of Christ in his time period. Or he wouldn't have been talking about succeeding generations of the church. Which means when he was talking about the coming of the Lord, he had to be talking about something else. How do you get to the point that there's exceeding abundantly above and beyond? By the Christ who lives in you. When you realize the Christ that's in you, that that power, that you'll be strengthened with might by His Spirit in your inner man, that Christ, not Jesus, Christ that's in you, may dwell in your heart by faith. To Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that you ask or think, according to what? The power that's working where? In you. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Because Jesus was the human being who fully experienced the Christ so that He could open you up as a human being so that you could fully experience the Christ as well. Which means we don't... I know I'm messing you up. What He's saying is things don't change in your life by asking and thinking and It doesn't happen by asking God and it doesn't happen by positive thinking. It happens when you have this encounter with the power that's inside you. When you have this deep encounter with the well and then you realize the greatness of who you are in Christ and from that resource of power you rise up and speak to the mountain. You rise up and heal the disease. You rise up and change the situation. In that day, Jesus said in John's Gospel, you will ask me nothing, but you will realize that I am in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you, and we're one. And so basically the same power that I accessed to calm the storm and to heal the sick and to raise the dead is the same power that you can access. So the the greater works you will do, not I, he never said, the works that I do, I'll keep doing them for you, and even greater ones if you pray right and get the right formula. The works that I do, you shall do also. And greater works than these, because I go to my Father. All right. Well, that's kind of preaching that makes you popular. But it's the kind of preaching that works, that delivers the goods, that manifests the power of the kingdom and change and transformation, regardless of what you're going through. 
regardless of what you're facing. Building up that resource, building up that reservoir of Christ in you so that you can encounter the giants. So that you, D- David didn't pray for Goliath to fall. David went out there with his slingshot in the name of the Lord and he slew Goliath. They didn't pray for to drive out the inhabitants of the land. All right, I need to quit. I just I wish we could get this as a church. It sounds like I'm taking away from who Jesus is, but I'm not. I'm just adding to the greatness of who you are. Sure, he's greater. So if he's greater than you, then the greater you become, the greater he becomes. just common sense right so don't be afraid of your own greatness all right lord help me (laughs) to shut up (laughs) bless your people help us to grasp these things and walk in these things we thank you for where we're going we believe in a great day ahead lord i pray even as paul prayed for the hearers and the people here that you would strengthen each one of us with might by your spirit in our inner person that we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend together with all the saints what is the height and the width and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God that is in Christ that we may be filled with all the fullness of God from the inside out and that through that power that's working in us greater things than we could ask, think or imagine can begin to happen and manifest for us in our lives give us the help and the discipline that we need to walk in these things and to encounter these things And Father, let there be an impartation uh, powerfully of the gift of God in our inner man. Let us discover that well that springs up into everlasting life as we die at the place of the skull to our five physical senses and learn to ascend just like you did. And I give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen.